Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. I want to share with you, though, a very important piece uh, of research data that has emerged uh, just, just a couple decades ago, and it's this, quote, More Americans are bowling today than ever before, but bowling in organized leagues has plummeted in the last decade or so. Sociologist Robert Putnam wrote those words in 1995. It was then that he published a groundbreaking book on the decline of community engagement in the United States. And in the book, Putnam documented research that showed fewer and fewer people were voting, less and less people were going to church, and furthermore, civic organizations like Boy Scouts, Red Cross, Lions Club, Shriners, these sort of classically American institutions were all shrinking, shrinking in membership and member involvement. But again, the data points that struck Putnam as the most intriguing and the most telling were that was that more Americans were bowling than ever in 1995, but bowling in organized leagues had plummeted. To be precise, he reports that between 1980 and 1993, the number of people who bowled annually was up 10%, but the number of people in bowling leagues had tanked by over 40%. And so Putnam titled his book, Bowling Alone, The Collapse of American Community. Well, I want to suggest to you that what's happened more broadly within our country is exactly what's happened within the church. Despite our calling to be the body of Christ, despite our calling to be the family of God, despite our calling to be the fellowship of the Spirit, we are just as isolated from one another as the rest of the country, and our communal life has collapsed just as much, and far too often we are following Christ alone. So last week and this week, we're having sort of a short sermon series on community, and I'm sharing these messages right now because just as the school year is starting, so too also the ministry year is starting, and our life groups are all preparing to relaunch in the fall. Some churches call them small groups, some call them community groups, we call them life groups, but these are smaller, more personal groups of believers who meet throughout the week, usually in someone's home, Some of them meet here, but life groups are a chance for you to really get to know some other Christ followers and for them to really get to know you. So our Sunday morning gathering is a larger group and a little more formal. Ben and I come up with a plan, right? We don't just show up. Um, But we want to help you connect with a smaller, more personal community that we call life groups. So last week, we asked the question, why do we need community? And I gave three answers. We need community, one, because of who God is, namely, he is Trinity, 
God is a community within himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, and we are made in the image of the communal God, so we need community because of who God is. Secondly, we need community because of who we are, and I highlighted the fact that we are not God. We are just human, and humans are dependent. We are dependent on God and others in community to fill our needs. And finally, we need community because of how we grow. God has set things up for us to grow spiritually through relationships. If you do not have deep, consistent, transparent relationships with other believers, you will not grow spiritually as God intends. So that's the best three-pointed answer that I could give as to why we needed community. I had to go real fast because it was outdoor worship. Gave myself 20 minutes, but crammed it all in. And today we're asking another related question that I'm going to take longer than 20 minutes to answer, so buckle up. <clears throat> what does spiritual community look like? Why do we need community? What does spiritual community look like? We've talked about our lack of community. We've talked about why we need community, but what does spiritual community actually look like? That's what I want to answer for us this morning. And to do so, I want to use this shape, <clears throat> break out my Microsoft Paint skills here, okay? Did this all on my own. Sort of visual aid that we refer to as up, in, and out. And these three different directions help capture and summarize what equates to a balanced spiritual life, not only for an individual, but for a community of individuals. So as we fill out this triangle and explain each direction, it'll help us understand what spiritual community actually looks like. So first, up relates to seeking God together. So this is one aspect of spiritual community, that we seek God together. Now this can mean many things, but most basically it means that we study Scripture together and we pray together. In other words, it means that together in community we hear from God through opening the Bible, and God hears from us through our prayers. So for certain, we can do these things individually. We should meditate on, God, uh, on God's Word on our own, and we should cultivate a rich, private prayer life. But Scripture also teaches that we can and should do these things in community. So for example... In Romans chapter 15, verse 14, the Apostle Paul is wrapping up his letter to the church in Rome, and he says this. <clears throat> he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. I'm satisfied that you yourselves are full of goodness, and you yourselves are filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. So the Apostle says, you guys, y'all. Christians, y'all have all knowledge of the gospel, and so you are able to instruct one another with that biblical knowledge. Now notice, there's no mention of pastors here. There's no mention of the elders. He says, you guys, church, even apart from your formal authorized leaders, are still able to share instruction with one another from God's Word. Now listen, I'm not knocking pastors, right? I am a pastor. I like my job. And I believe in the pastoral elder office and particularly our role as teachers. It's very important. So I do 
Uh, I work hard to study and teach Scripture every Sunday. At the same time, the Apostle says, you also, regular Christian, Joe Christian, you are able to know the gospel enough and know the Scriptures enough to be able to instruct one another in them. And where else are you going to be able to do that except in the context of a life group or something like it? In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, the apostle says something similar. It's a beautiful verse. And again, he's not talking to pastors here. He never identifies the pastors as those he's specifically speaking to. He's talking to the Colossian Christians generally. And he says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So not only does the apostle call them to teach one another, their teaching breaks out into singing. So you see how he's urging them to be a community that seeks God through, the instruct, through instructing one another in God's word and singing God's praises together. This is up. This is a community that's moving toward God together. A final verse related to prayer and community is James chapter 5, verse 16. James writes to the churches, he says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So oftentimes when we have sins that we're ready to confess, sins that we're ready to own up to, we think, call the professionals. I've got sin that I need to confess. Call the priest. Or other times when we have something we need prayed for, we think, I've got needs that I need prayed for. Call the guy who is a professional Christian. Call the pastor. But James doesn't say that. He says, you guys confess to one another. You guys pray for one another. And where else are you going to do that except in the context of a life group or something like it? So we've got to ask ourselves, who are you seeking God with? Who are the Christians that you are opening up the Bible with? You instructing them and them instructing you. Who are the Christians you know well enough that you trust enough to confess your sins to? And bring your sins before God in prayer. Who are the Christians you pray for? Who are the Christians who pray for you? Who are the Christians you pray with? If you can't confidently answer those questions, you are at a serious disadvantage in the Christian life. And Satan is licking his chops, looking at you. He prowls around like a roaring lion, the apostle says. But this is one aspect of spiritual community. We seek God together, and not just on Sunday morning, not just under the direct leadership of our pastors, but with one another in a more intimate, personal group. The second aspect of spiritual community is in, doing life together. So up relates to seeking God together, moving toward God together, but in relates to moving toward one another. So in spiritual community, not only are we connected to God, but we are connected to one another. Yes, in community, we try to deepen our relationship with God through studying Scripture and praying, but we also try to deepen our relationship with other believers. And one of the ways we see this in Scripture 
is the heavy emphasis that it places on love, particularly the love that we should have for our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is an incredibly striking verse. It's spoken by Jesus himself in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. Jesus says to his disciples, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also, my disciples, are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So Jesus says this is the distinguishing mark of a Christian. His love for fellow Christians. This is how people will be able to identify you as my disciples. Because of your love for other disciples. So we've got to ask ourselves, what Christians are you loving so radically that the world is able to see it? Jesus says, the world is going to know you are my disciples by how you love each other. So what Christians are you loving to the degree that the world can tell? If we can't answer that question, then we need to ask ourselves whether we are truly disciples of Jesus. That's what John chapter 13 verses 34 through 35 mean. Romans chapter 12 verse 10, the apostle calls us to Quote, love one another with brotherly affection. So again, I ask, who are the Christians in your life that you are moving toward with brotherly affection? Who are the believers in your life that you have feeling for? That's what affection is, right? Not just like, I love the church in theory. Like, I feel it. I love it. These are my people. For example, in Romans chapter 16, verse 16, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 20, the apostle Paul tells the church, greet one another with a holy kiss. So Paul is not talking about anything erotic here, right? But he is talking about greeting one another, welcoming one another with affection and with warmth. So this is not the stodginess and stiffness of a corporate board meeting, right? No, there's to be a warmth and excitement to be in one another's presence. We are to have that kind of community with whom we are moving toward each other with intimacy, with affection, and with love. Another really powerful verse about the connection within spiritual community, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26. Paul writes, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So you see how they're connected such that they experience life together. They feel what each other are feeling. So earlier this year, Tom and Mariah Grappen welcomed their first child into the world, baby Finn. And their life group felt the joy that they felt when Ben was born. Because they had walked through that entire journey of Mariah getting pregnant and then Mariah getting really pregnant and then finally Finn blossoms into the world and the members of that life group got to, as Paul says here, quote, all rejoice together because they were connected with Tom and Mariah who themselves were rejoicing. 
Conversely, just the opposite can happen. When Meg and I were in a life group at Woodside Romeo, when I worked there five or six years ago, one of the couples in the group, their marriage became so strained and broken that they got a divorce. And we were devastated, each member of that group. For months and months and months, we were devastated. We loved her. We loved him. We loved their children. And when they suffered, we suffered with them. So I ask you, what other believers are you so connected with that they are going to feel it when you suffer? And who are your fellow Christ followers who are going to feel it when you rejoice and experience victory? When you are in spiritual community, like a life group, and you're moving in toward one another, then you can gain those kind of relationships. When people feel what you feel and are with you. Another verse that very clearly highlights this aspect of spiritual community, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. The apostle says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So hospitality literally means having a fondness for guests, having a fondness for guests, having a delight and an eagerness to welcome people in, into our lives and even into our homes. What other believers are you inviting in, welcoming in and showing hospitality to? And once you've got this kind of community, once you're surrounded by a true fellowship of believers, there's all sorts of ministry that you're going to be able to offer one another once you're truly connected. So listen to these verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, um, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, Paul writes, comfort one another. When you experience loss, when you suffer heartache, it's in spiritual community where you can receive comfort from one another, from other Christ followers. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, Paul writes, through love, serve one another. When you have needs, when you lack resources to do something you need to do, it's in Christian community where you can be served, where you can be cared for by fellow Christ followers. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, again, the apostle says, Therefore, encourage one another. Build one another up, just as you are doing. So when you face trials, when you're walking through difficulties and it's hard to endure, well, you can be encouraged. You can be strengthened by the words and presence of spiritual community. And this is an important one. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. It's really striking. He says, Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So when you face temptation... When sin is enticing you, it's in spiritual community with one another where you can be exhorted, where you can be challenged so that you won't sin, so that you won't be hardened, so that you won't be deceived. But if you're cut off, if you're cut off from an authentic, intimate, more personal spiritual community, then you won't receive the comfort that you need. You won't be served like you need to be. You won't be encouraged. You won't be challenged like you need to be. So we're just severely handicapped if we don't have this aspect of spiritual community in our lives, doing life together, moving toward each other, in, as we call it. The three directions of spiritual community, up, seeking God together, in, 
doing life together, and then finally, out. Reaching out together. So out relates to God's call on our lives to reach out to our surrounding community. Yes, we are supposed to move toward God. Yes, we are supposed to move toward each other, but we are also supposed to move toward our broader community together, reaching out to Lapeer County with the love and truth of Jesus together. I've had the opportunity to teach on outreach probably close to 10 times with other churches, student ministries, at a youth conference one time, also with our leadership institute at the Troy campus. And one of the things I'll often do at the start of this lesson on outreach is I say, all right, I want to do a mind game. So I'm going to say a word, and I want you to tell me the first thing that comes to your mind when I say this. And I'll say, all right, you ready? Here's the word. Evangelism. And then I'll give them a moment, and I'll say, okay, some of you guys... Share with me what came to your head. And inevitably, one of the people in the group will tell me fear. Fear comes to mind when they think about sharing the gospel, sharing their faith. Now, why is this? Well, you may think, well, these Christians who are afraid, they just have the fear of man. They just need to fear God instead of man. They must trust God. Be confident in the gospel. Go for it. Share the gospel. Stop being scared. Well, I want to say, if that's your response to these fearful Christians, that's pretty judgy. It's pretty judgmental and kind of assuming the worst. Because I think there may be more at play. Very often when we're taught about evangelism, we're taught how to share the gospel as an individual. In other words, we're taught personal evangelism. Here's what you do. Here's the questions you ask. Here's the things you say. And it kind of puts a lot of pressure on you to get it right, to do a good job, to have all the answers, etc. But what we're trying to emphasize through life groups is you might call communal evangelism. Reaching out to our broader community, sharing the gospel with our lost friends and neighbors together. Because pretty much anything is easier to do when you're not alone. So it's through our life groups that we're trying to say, hey, who are the unbelievers in your life that God is calling us to reach out to with the love and truth of Jesus? Okay, let's do this reaching out together. Let's pray for these non-believers together. Let's build relationships with them together. Let's find ways we can serve them together. Let's listen to their questions together. Let's find ways to introduce them to Jesus together. Almost anything is easier when you're not alone, including sharing your faith. Here's another way that our life groups reach out. It's not strictly through evangelism per se, but it's also found through doing good and serving in our community together. So for example, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, Jesus says to his disciples, he says to them, you are the light of the world. You are a city Set on a hill, and a city set on a hill can't be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but you put a lamp on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So again, all of these second-person plural pronouns are plural pronouns. Can't necessarily see this in the English translation, especially if it's not a southern English translation, which would use the helpful word 
Y'all. I don't know why you guys don't use that word. Jesus is saying that y'all's collective effort at doing good will so impress non-believers that they'll be drawn to Jesus. Let me say that again. Jesus is saying that y'all's collective effort at doing good will so impress non-believers that they'll be drawn to Jesus. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard people start their testimony by saying, I met some Christians, and man, there was just something different about them. That's what Jesus is talking about. It used to be at an earlier point in our history that we as a church could just open our doors and people would come. Because there was just this thing in the ether of our culture. I'm supposed to go to church. I should go to church. I grew up thinking that. Like that was just in the air. <laughs> I'm supposed to go to church. It's Sunday morning. I should go to church. Even though I was as far from Christ as east is from the west. I still felt that. Because there was just something in the air. There was something in the culture. But in our increasingly secular culture, this is just not the case. We cannot expect non-believers to come to us. We've got to go to them. We've got to meet them where they're at. Meeting in homes, meeting throughout the week, serving in our community, reaching out and connecting with the people of Lapeer and not just expecting them to find us. And reaching out like this is way less scary and way more effective when we do it in community. And this is why we want to help you get in a life group. We don't want you following Christ alone. We don't want you following, we do want you following Christ with a smaller group of brothers and sisters seeking God, doing life, and reaching out together. You know, one of the things that Robert Putnam, the sociologist I mentioned before, one of the things he found out was that people who bowled alone, people who did not bowl in a bowling league, they had a diminished experience bowling compared to people who did bowl in a bowling league. Those who bowled alone spent less time bowling. They purchased less food at the bowling alley and they purchased fewer drinks at the bowling alley because why would they? They didn't have anybody to share these things with. They didn't have anybody to make it worth staying a little longer, having another round. Individual bowlers lacked the rich experience of communal life. They were bowling alone. Well, the same is true, friend, for following Christ alone. You will miss out on so much that God has for you. So I pray that God would help us find a smaller, more personal group to connect with, and we'd love to help you if we can. There's a connect card in your bulletin. There's a card in the seat back in front of you. It has a green tab on the top. It says join a group. Fill it out. Throw it in the offering plate in the back. Take it to the connect desk. You can talk to me. You can talk to Ben. He mentioned he's the life groups director. Ben is overseeing this whole thing. Um, but we'd love to help you connect in a smaller, more personal, intimate life group so that you can follow Christ in community. I pray it would be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. 
Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.